Well, hey, everyone. Here we are. Another week gone. Another week of endurance. Uh, it is, uh, once again, the Razor Boy, along with uh, Hey Heike and uh, Totes My Goats. And I guess this is the, it's not only the 51st edition of Rinky Dinking, it's the 420 podcast. Wow. I was met with silence. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for you to explain that to me. I, I don't understand. Oh, Mike, 420. You want to know the full explanation? It's sure. a big day for the, uh, the old pot-smoking daddies out there, apparently. Uh, weed day, or 420, uh, the origin, as it goes, a bunch of stoners in California in the 70s would meet up at 420 in the afternoon, 20 after 4, uh, to uh, smoke the the weed, and it was the perfect time because it was after school, but it was before the parents got home from work. So it became a secret code, 420, and it spread. Bam! There's the knowledge you didn't think you are going to get today, did you? I think, uh, didn't people start saying it's 420 somewhere? Wasn't that like a country song? I think it's a Jimmy Buffett thing. <laughs> <laughs> some sort. Anyway, I digress. It's just, look, there's a lot of free time going on and uh, that, you know, you peruse your social media in the morning and all of a sudden everyone's all excited that it's the 20th of April because of the numerical uh, sense of it. Did you know also that there, there are, uh, you know, you'd think that this thing's being legalized from coast to coast, like in Canada, which it has. But there are only 11 states in the United States that uh, have full recreational legal um, piping. So they have it up in I, Michigan. I've been told. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> whoa! Whoa! You've been told? Oh yeah. Apparently, they're taking advantage of that. Uh, Do you spend some uh, time up there? Not every now and then. Recently? It, uh, no, not recently. No. But, uh, yeah. It's uh, it's an interesting debate to have here in Texas and. You know, they, they seem to they seem to be enjoying uh, that at a time when uh, it might be needed. I was always scared of that crap uh, when I was younger because I was a real high level athlete, Mike. And uh, Totsi, you may not realize that, but you really were. But at one point, I was. <laughs> uh, but I always I looked at the guys that smoke pot, and I was like, man, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. They they just didn't seem to be really trying. I mean, I, maybe it's different now. I don't know. It didn't seem like they were really trying to uh, pursue anything other than the next batch of buds, if you know what I mean. It just they they, they seemed unmotivated. I was yeah. highly motivated, so. But they ended up very creative, apparently. <laughs> many ways to make it in the Speaking of the creative, uh, all semblance of of actually caring about what broadcast quality looks like has just flown out the window, right? Like when you watch a newscast or anything right now, I mean, it's basic. Like, I remember when it, this first started happening, right, that, that the quality of, of, the, uh, of the news feeds that were coming in from remote lo- locations and that, all of a sudden it was like, yeah, we'll loosen it up a little bit and we'll use some of that cell phone video. Uh, cell phones ruined it all, I guess, or made it better, whichever way you want to look at it. But it has is, it is turned from having some viewers cell phone footage used on the air to people shooting themselves uh on the air with a camera obviously uh and and just like a a lamp with no shade on it and calling that broadcast quality it's nuts i believe we had a, a good introduction to this when we tried on our first uh, homestay podcast uh, and i couldn't do any of it so some people have talent in this department. Some people clearly. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but <laughs> but even beyond that, like just just the 
the acceptance of what is quote unquote broadcast quality is basically anything and everything, right? Yeah. They had like Kimmel- any grainy image, any blurry whatever, the the lighting. There used to be a whole, you know, key light and a fill light and all this you know, we'd, we'd set up studios for an hour before we'd interview a hockey player. And now it's basically just, you know, hey, how are you doing? Everyone's got the bad angle uh, Zoom uh, look going where they're staring down at the camera. And, uh, and but, I, but to the highest levels, I mean, your broadcast news and everything else just looks, it looks amateurish. It looks like uh, what used to be your cable access. Uh, news shows or any shows and that, and now every show looks like that. Yeah. It's interesting because like we've had to be on, you know, whatever type of phone camera in our house sometimes for NHL network or whatever. And some of these people really don't care at all. What's behind them. Like you try and look around the house and say, Hey, maybe there's a bookshelf or something I can shoot in front of. And some of these people on the news are just like, meh, whatever. And <laughs> I know. They got You're their right. dog in the background. Yes. <laughs> Remember, remember that viral video that went out? The guy was doing, uh, he was on a conference call uh, in, in his home office, and the kids come walking in, and the bum or the nanny comes and grabs the kids. Well, that was there was a time when that was that was like big news. Now it's basically everything you watch on television has the chance of having that happen. And if it did, everyone would just kind of shrug and you know, whatever. It's a better world, dude. It, that, that's my that's my question to you. Uh, both of you, is it? Is this better? <laughs> no, it, it's it's not better, but it's necessary right now. I can't wait till we get back to proper pitching and true broadcast. Yeah, but will we actually do that? I I imagine so. I hope so. But I think we are seeing that there is, uh, I don't know, much more flexibility and a lower standard for the amount of correspondence we can talk to. Yeah, what if this just becomes the norm? Why would you bother with all that other stuff? We've we've uh, all agreed that we can accept this. It certainly That's opens true. up the door for more access to celebrities or athletes. Is that, or, is that a Pandora's door or box? Could be. As it were? Yeah. Sure. Like what Tyler shot the other day, I thought was great. I thought that was very creative uh, with him and the dogs and everything like that. I don't know you know, who did that, if totes, if you had a hand in it or not, but. Yeah, yeah. Oh, please. Don't be a drone. <laughs> please. Is that you pretending not to know and just tossing <laughs> a softball up for going. <laughs> just whatever brilliant mind filmed that. Yes, they did a wonderful job. That was but awesome. the opportunity there is to do these types of things because I think athletes or, you know, celebrities, entertainers are going to be more open to it because they've gone through this. Yeah, we've talked about it before that the, sometimes the – the fan cell phone video shot at, at sporting events and at stars games is as good uh, and feels more, I don't know, visceral or something than, than uh, just your, your normal broadcast uh, does. It just takes, I mean, it's a different angle. It's a different view. It's a different feel around it, whatever. But I, I like a lot of those, not all of them. I agree completely. When you see someone post, uh, their shot of a goal when they're sitting on the glass or in the first couple of rows. It's so cool. And just yeah. a different feeling. Yeah, I agree. It feels like, uh, like it, it's a, it's, it's, it's dirty and gorilla and, uh, and it's, and different and all those things. I, I, I yeah, we all, we're always looking for something different, right? Yeah. But now, yeah. we can go forward and we can have some of the polished stuff and we can have some of the dirty stuff and yeah. pick the best of it all. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's the old fart in me, but I I miss I miss real Chris uh, thought put into it video. I, I agree do. with that. I I watch some of this stuff, and they might be saying the greatest thing on earth, and it just looks like dog dung, and I'm like I'm out. I am not sitting through this. And I, I, some of that too, I think, is the length of it, right? Yeah. So you can you can hang in for twenty thirty seconds, but then beyond that, you're like, come on. Like Just I'll like, say this: even in the Razor Boys Emporium after games and that, I put a little bit of thought and preparation, pre-production into it, true. and uh, make sure that it looks acceptable. I don't just bang out any old thing and then toss it. 
And I feel like it some nights too in doing that after a tough loss. But I know the people demand that of me. I demand that of myself, gentlemen. I demand it of myself. That's why we're all better for it because of your high standards. Yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah, they, I mean, I do what I do. Hey, speaking of Golden State residents, since we were talking about the Golden State back in the beginning of all this, do you hear that Gret says we're coming back June, July, August, somewhere in there and in some form? That would be nice. He's the Oracle, is he not? I trust him. He says we're coming back. It makes sense. I think hey, we Gret- Hey, look, the reason I bring it up is this. Wayne Gretzky is not uh, a, a person, a public figure, that has just tossed out things for no reason in past. He's always been very careful with any kind of public statements. Uh, I think even that that statement is starting to loosen up a little bit with what's going on. But still, I, I don't think he's uh, a person that would say something if he didn't truly feel it, maybe had a little bit of information about it. Yeah. No, I agree with you 100%. And, and I think they talk to people. I don't agree with like me. Wayne. I agree with Wayne. I agree with Wayne 100%. I think people, you know, he is clearly an insider. He talks to people. I think people seek his opinion. Um, so I'm all for it. I, I do believe there's time. Uh, I hope we can flatten the curve quickly uh, and then do whatever it is to, to get game back on the ice. Mm-hmm. Indeed. I just, I was, it was a headline grabber. Uh, and I was like everybody else. I didn't bother reading the article. I just looked at the headlines. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you want to read the article? It might have went in a completely different direction. But for our purposes, we needed that headline. So I went with it. Smart uh, move on your part. So uh, this was, I was thinking this. If games resume and do so with no fans in the beginning, one ancillary effect of that would be no need for protective netting in the arena. Interesting. So that would be a big assist for TV coverage and TV would have, I think, a special opportunity to rearrange and be progressive with their broadcasts, camera positions, even sound, uh, whatever it is. Uh, But I mean, the, the the netting went up for a very good reason, and it's hard to believe it wasn't up there prior to that when you think about it. But if there's nobody in the seats, you're not going to protect the seats. Uh, and it, it has been, I'm not going to lie, it, it's forced, you know, great producers, directors to rethink how they cover the game. And I would think this, and Totsi, you're the best to probably weigh in on this. During this, this pause, People, if you want hockey, and we'll get more into other ways of getting your hockey, but one way is to just play video game hockey, play EA Sports. Um, the the Chell. The Chell. And, uh, and if, you, if you're playing the Chell on, on your platform, your video platform, what aspect ratio or, or what, what uh, camera angle are you taking in that? It's kind of like a high center um, – it's like the sky cam at football, kind of following the play. It's not a, uh, it's not a camera one on broadcast. No, it's no. You're you're basically running at the the uh, 200 foot length of the rink instead of the 85 feet width of the rink. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. On what would essentially be a sky cam. Yeah. So if there's an entire generation uh, or generations now probably of of gamers that have become so accustomed to seeing, wanting to see their hockey that way, uh, you know, in the artificial world, then in the real world, what would it look like if we just provided the game that way? Because we're not, you know, again, the, the idea would be that, that you're not blocking seats and there's no visual impediment in front of you because the netting's gone. And, uh, it, it would. I'm telling you, it would allow you to break down some of those barriers and try something new, would it not? That's really interesting. We got kind of close to that angle with some of the winter classic looks. Um, some of the overhead right. shots, when pushed all the way in, felt like watching a video game. And I think it's awesome. And if this is the first opportunity to try it since there's no fans, it definitely should be because when would you get this opportunity again? 
Are we at the point where we should be mounting cameras on top of the glass? Well, there, is, that- there already there already are. There's a there's a speed cam that goes. It's more on a pole than it is. It's tough to have it on the glass because the glass moves. The glass so wobbles so much. Yeah. Yeah. They 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 put in the uh, the robos at the end of of ranks years ago, and it gives you that that almost fish eye look from up above both nets uh, in the zone. It's it's imperfect. It's a decent shot, but I'm not fully in love with it. Uh, the The idea would be the more cameras, the, the more cameras that that can break down the barriers between our game and the people watching it, the better. Yes, and that's why I've been a huge proponent of drones for yes. years now. Yes. <laughs> I, you know, and you laugh. I remember we were at the NHL broadcast meetings, and uh, I kept. I kept sending text messages to guys, you know, they're going through their diatribe at the front of the room talking about all the ways that we can innovate and do them. And I just kept going drones, <laughs> drones. <laughs> the future is drones. And, uh, and it will be in, in some ways. Uh, it's obviously there's a safety aspect to it. Uh, but you know, it, you have glass, you have netting, you have boards. We have all these, I think we've done a terrific job of, uh, finding ways to navigate through those things and provide just stellar broadcasts along with, of course, the announcers, it would not be the same without them. And uh, I, I think this would be an opportunity to cover games in a different way. Just the same way you make a good point, Totsi, that the, these outdoor games, the, the stadium games have forced and, allowed at the same time uh, broadcasters to come up with different ways to cover the game that's going on. But I'm curious, have you thought at all about if you were to, if you and Josh were to call a game from your normal perch in an empty American Airlines Center, how wild that would be? Yeah, I mean, yeah, look, we need fans. (laughs) We We need fannies and seats. I mean, the atmosphere is is such a huge part of it. Uh, I don't know if we can go the way it was it in Taiwan. They put robots and <laughs> cut out. cardboard cutouts. I, yeah. I actually like that one though. Was that where? Am I? Do I have that right? Was it in Taiwan? I and, don't. Yeah, I'm well, not that, sure. I think one of the baseball it. leagues in South Korea. Was that where it was? I don't know if that was it for sure, but I know South Korea is starting to play again. But they allowed they they either allowed or they did it as. Uh, a sort of uh, make good for season ticket holders and that, that they just put uh, cutouts like life-size cutouts of their season ticket holders and put them in, <laughs> put them in the seats. So great. And the cutouts yeah. were varied and they had some holding up their phones. Some <laughs> yeah. It was great. I, I just think that's awesome though. Cause you, you need something. You can't just have a sea of seats. It just it just murders the atmosphere. It drags everything down, uh, you know. But again, that in order in or, for us to call the game, whatever. I mean, you you can get you can kind of get your mind inside the game. Uh, right. We could we could pump fake uh, crowd audio into our headsets, and it would it would make it different for us to call the game. Sure. Uh, but but visually, this is where I go back to where cameras. Uh, well, we'll have to be creative. Uh, and it, look, I'm not going to name names, but there's been arenas in the league where uh, I know home broadcasts and national broadcasts have tried to be creative in how tight they cover the game to just cut out a bunch of empty seats because it's a bad look. And yeah. and you, so you, I mean, you could do it. And again, it's just a challenge to broadcast to be able to do things different and hopefully better. So, um, you know, I, I think when we do first come back, there's probably a good or a better chance that broadcasters are calling games from a studio and not in the arena itself. But we'll see we'll cross, cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, which, and, and you know what? I've done that before off of, like, tube televisions. Think of how hard that was in standard def on tube televisions to do it that way. To do it now, I mean, you could have a uh, 
70 inch screen in front of you with full audio and, and call the game that way you'd feel like you're in the best seat in the arena anyway. So that, that wouldn't be that big of a challenge. I don't think it'd be a challenge, but not that big a one. So anywho, you, you bring the that? atmosphere. I am the atmosphere. I'm not only the <laughs> atmosphere, I'm also the danger. <laughs> uh, switching gears. The, this is the big pod ponderance of the week is what I'm calling it, or the BPPW. If no hockey, and that's a major if, and we don't want to, we don't want to go there. But if the if they if they couldn't finish the season, if they just could not figure out how to do it, if this virus just would not relent enough to allow them to go back and finish things up, do the St. Louis Blues keep the cup for another year? I would say yes. Do you think it should go to the Hall of Fame and just stay there? No, I, I don't even know what the rule. Is there a rule? No, I don't think so. Well, they did have the lockout one year. So I That's what I was going to say. So uh, that would have been Tampa? Um, that right? right, yeah. I think so. 2004. 2004, right? Yeah. Tampa Bay? Over Calgary? And then 05... 0405 didn't exist. And then 0506 we came back and I want to say the Hurricanes. I think the Hurricanes won it in 06, right? Any anywho, that's not the point. The point being, did the Tampa Bay Lightning then hold on to the cup for two seasons? I don't know. I have to look at I up. don't either. But, but it makes sense you're the defending Stanley Cup champion, aren't you? Well, yes. I mean, there's obviously you've got that, but do you get to keep the cup? Um, Are we going to see more bread hall parties from St. Louis? <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> a, a nice summer of cup parties. Uh, or, or is there some stipulation from the league that you, you can only have it for a certain number of of days? Or is it until the next season begins? I don't know. It would make sense that they would just, you know, yeah, uh, on July 1 or whenever it's normally uh, awarded, that it just goes back to the Hall of Fame and sits there. Be a good problem to have, though, wouldn't it? Sure. And, and of all the cities to, to get it for two years, I'd be fine with St. Louis getting it for two years. Those fans waited a long time. So uh, if, they, if that's what oh happened. Oh, my God. You're getting get soft celebrate. and sentimental. I, I just, that's the Lions fan in me that, when you do this for what is it now, fifty years to wait for your cup, uh, then you should be able to enjoy it. Oh, all right. Well, I don't. I don't know if I can. You, you hate you hate Steve, don't you? Well, no, I don't hate. I don't hate any of them. I was happy for the guys that I know in for a little while, but one year. Yeah, and then you're like, okay, good enough. Here we go. I think the people in Boston are probably saying, well, they should just award it to the Bruins since they were leading the league. Yeah, best record. Yeah. And then I don't think they're going to get a lot of support for that, though. <laughs> so. But anywho. Uh, reminding me a little bit, uh, though, that, that uh, you know, because goaltending is such a big thing in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, the, the, do you realize this? Michael, that goaltenders are distancers and isolationists? Yes, they are. So, ergo, they are the most prepared of hockey players to get through this. Indeed. Hmm. Makes sense. It really does make sense. I mean, that's the mindset of, you know, what their preparation, how they go about their job. I mean, some of them are obviously social people, Marty, Turco, and and uh, even these guys now, Ben, uh, but, but most of the goalies like to be by themselves in their preparation. So they should be well prepared for this time at home or time away. Well, you spend the entire game, not as much as you used to, uh, you know, you used to put a water bottle on top of your net and that was the end of it. You didn't come to the bench during TV timeouts and kibitz with the uh, teammates or backup goaltender. Uh, like they do now. So it's a, it, some guys remain in their nets, but a lot of guys end up over at the bench and 
dancing out of the way of ice girls shovels and what have you. But uh, I, yeah, I, I think, I think you have to be comfortable as a goaltender with being alone with your own thoughts. And sometimes you're, you're battling your own thoughts, you know, negative thoughts. Yeah. And you're trying to pump up positive thoughts. You know, guys used to talk to their goalposts. You used to pick out things in the stands. You used to, there's all kinds of stuff that, that goaltenders have used to kind of bide their time back there in between action and at the same time keeping a focus, whether you broke down the game into into segments by minutes or whatever it was, but you had to find a way to get through and be at your best when you were called upon. You know, it's it's quite a vocation when you think of it. Were you a chirper at all? Did you uh, talk with the refs or opposition players? Oh, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. It was salvation when you got an opportunity to have a word with more, – more times than not, it was with the – you know, the linesmen come through and pick up the puck from you when you freeze it and that, and you have a word with them and spend some – you know, you get, you get to know them. The conversations with the refs, a lot of times they'll – you know, you make a good save, they'll let you know. You know, they're they're there uh, as as arbiters of justice, but also they're you know they're watching the game too. They can see what's going on, and then you get in some heated conversations with them about watching your crease or what's going on around there. And so, yeah, I mean, there's there's some by play that goes on with that. You don't get into it with fans. You got the high glass down at your end. Uh, you don't deal with an awful lot of that, but. Uh, and, and then if your team's really good, man, you spend a lot of team by a lot of time by yourself back there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you just find ways to, to power through it. I think that's what, that's what we're all trying to do now. Are we not? We're all, we're all goaltenders in a, in a certain manner <laughs> as we battle this COVID-19. And the thought is that at some point in time, you're going to get some action. <laughs> well, <laughs> We want to explain that. Well, you know, the the, the play will come back. Okay. We'll be able to uh, deal with our jobs and uh, yeah. doing yeah. what we're supposed to do. That's true. The uh, tragically hip has a has a lovely. Uh, I mean, they've got an entire catalog of loveliness. But uh, Gordon Downey, their late lead singer, was a goaltender and uh, loved the the position. And one of their songs is The Lonely End of the Rink. And that one, I hear your voice across a frozen lake, a voice from the end of a leaf, saying you won't die of a thousand fakes or be beaten by the sweetest of deeks at the lonely end of the rink. You and me at the lonely end of the rink. The lonely end of the rink. Mm. It's an ode to goaltenders, Mike. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Now, can I ask you uh, on your singing and artistry? Are these that was that... spoken word, by the way? Yes, it was. That was. Yeah, that I've, was I've seen a video word. of the singing. Now, is it you? Apparently, have the tools within your house to pursue these hobbies. Is this something you do on a regular basis? Uh, no, it is not. I think you can tell from the uh, <laughs> actual uh, performance that it's not some, something regularly. But uh, I dabble in a little bit of everything, Mike. I know. It's uh, cool. I, I mean, I've told you that before. I like uh, I like your uh, life. I like a truly, truly a jack of all trades and a master of none. That is me. Uh, so I, I picked up the guitar again a little bit. Uh, Same. I like to sing sometimes, and uh, I've been drawing again, which I haven't done uh, in a long, long time for whatever reason. So I started doing that. How did you get into drawing? Because I think you're very good at it. Oh, I was straight A's in art back. Did in, you just yeah. scribble when you were ten or twelve? Or no, you, I or drew you take back class? then. I drew goaltenders and horses. Ah, that was that was my thing. They were my muse, as it were. 
I just grew. I wanted to be a cowboy and a hockey player, and it found its way to my pencil and pen, and I did that. But I, yeah, I I took art. You know that I was going to go into architecture, and uh, never did. Too good at stopping pucks. <laughs> Biggest mistake in my life. <laughs> I think your life turned way. out pretty good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it has. I'm 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 kidding, obviously, but the. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just gives you an opportunity. Yeah. I think everyone's probably doing that. I bet you all of our our players are doing the exact same thing. You know, as much as they're trying to stay in shape, and uh, there's only a few hours a day that that uh, has to be done. Can't do nine hours of workouts every day. So, you know, finding other things and maybe refinding some old joy and and uh, hobbies. And uh, so that's what that's what I've been doing. You too? Uh, no, I was going to ask Toast about. It. He said he was playing the guitar. Yeah, big time. That's been it's like always been very casual for the past couple of years, and then in the past couple of weeks, it's been multiple hours per day, which is fun. I really like it. Any so particular type of music? Uh, no, all across the map. A lot of a lot of a lot of banjo. Um, <laughs> not too much of that. Bluegrass, that kind of thing. I would say zero. Um, no tragically hip either. Well, no, it's probably too difficult. But anyway, <laughs> <have> you <played? laughs> uh, are you familiar with the band The Strokes? Yeah. Uh, probably the greatest band of all time. Um, a lot of their music, a lot of Foo Fighters and uh, all that. And all That's that. Neat. Yeah. And, all right. Well, maybe all we need map, to really. get some kind of a jam going of some sort. Are That'd you playing awesome. songs or licks? Uh, both. It's caught some tasty licks and then, yeah, some full, trying to get better with, like, the rhythm and stuff. All right. All right. I'm sure. <laughs> the tasty licks. We, we'll, we'll jam sometime. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe you can record yourself, play us out to a, a pause here, and we'll come back and talk about uh, the actual game of hockey and the rewinds. The restringing of some of the old games, if you will. Uh, straight ahead. All right, a lot of these rewind games being rebroadcast seem to have a, a kind of common theme, do they not, Mike? Uh, they've been recent, uh, so yes. What do you mean they've been recent? Well, it seems like games from you know this year, last year, a couple of years ago. Well, no, no, I mean, I, I don't mean just just here locally. I mean in general. Uh, you think a lot of them are? Well, I guess you're right in some ways, uh, but there've been a lot of. Uh, a lot of going down memory lane, depending on where you're looking and whether it's the uh, the local or regional broadcasts or the Canadian broadcasts or whatever it is. I mean, I've watched games back to the 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, not just this past year. Now, some of it is a legality thing as to what they can rebroadcast and who owns it. But it, it seems to me like there's there's a, a theme with these things. It's either that team's greatest success or it's just the old school poop show game. True? Sure. So no, think? you're right. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely think they're trying to, to drum up the ones that fans would say, Oh, I remember that game. That was a yeah. big game for me. Yeah, I mean I mean if you're going if you're going back down the, the time tube not not just recent, you know. Recently, they they're showing Stanley Cup games or individual teams, that you know the best game, best I don't know twenty five, thirty games from the season that was just played. But if you go back, if you're going back through the the uh, yearbook of individual teams and what have you, don't you think that's what is being broadcast more than anything else? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, why? Why do we? Why do we want to show the poop show all the time? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Again, maybe it's a game that that people remember. Uh, that they, you know, sit there and go, "Yeah, I remember what we saw there." 
Yeah, sex and violence sell. That's that's the first yeah. rule of television, is it not? Well, when we've talked about this back in the day, when ESPN would only show fights on the highlights, you know, right. that, that was it. That was that was your hockey highlights for the night. Well, here's three fights, and now over <laughs> to the NBA. <laughs> so that is a, a lot of times that is what sells. Yeah. So I, I mean the the stars uh, and and Fox Sports Southwest, our partner, have done a great job replaying some games and packaging the, the games together. Uh, little mini themes, just trying to keep uh, pumping out the the great game. But if you were going to go back through all the years here in Dallas, just in just in Dallas, so we're you know we're twenty we're twenty plus, right? Yep. Twenty twenty five plus. The the most memorables for you from the from the mess games <laughs> from the from the goofball games. Can you think of any off the top of your head that would stick out more than any other? I mean, the one play because it ended the game was the Patrick Steffen missing the empty net, and then Edmonton turning around and flying up the ice and and scoring on that one. To me, that was just like. Being in the arena, you're just like, and I'm trying to write a story on deadline, so I'm going like, oh, thanks for that. Uh, but, yeah, games like that, I think where they have uh, – you know, Shamsky in the middle of that one, was he not? Yes, indeed, yeah, coming right yeah. back at Marty Turco. And and Marty, I think, was just completely stunned, like, what, what, the puck's gone where? And the Oilers turned it around pretty quick in that one. But, yeah, situations like that I think actually are interesting in that – you know, you do remember. You remember getting punched in the gut if you're a fan. Um, and so uh, I think uh, that's the one to me that sticks out the most. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they they were showing, uh, you know, just some epic old brawl games. They just love the 70s, 80s brawl games on a lot of these channels. And maybe, I, I mean, you can jump on YouTube and find just about anything. Uh, you, you want maybe not the full broadcast, but a lot of it. I, I, I ne- never really uh, in my time here. I don't think I ever saw anything as off the rails as that that game against the Ducks in I think it was 1998 in the spring of '98 when uh, there there were like four Ducks and maybe five Dallas Stars left. On the, on the benches. Back. Yeah. Do you remember that game at reunion? I, I remember Brent Severin shoving Daryl Sador's head into the ice. Yes. So I think we, <laughs> Sevy would love you bringing that up again. <laughs> I think we all remember that. We all remember that yeah. one. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, it I'm going to find it. It was pretty I'm find it here man. as we're talking. <laughs> I'm going to find it on my iPad here. <laughs> but yeah, and that's how it was back in the day. They really did create rivalries where you hated the other team and you wanted to physically harm them. And well, the that Ducks, was one of those the, games. The Ducks were awful, too. Let's, yeah. I mean, they had they had Solani and, and Korea, and and that that was it. And, uh, oh, here we go. Okay, so the Stars win the game 6-3. to three. It was March 13th of 1998, Reunion Arena. The Stars' record was 39-16-10. The Ducks were twenty thirty six and nine. <laughs> so uh, let's see. Oh, Joe Newton. You know Joe Newendike had he scored four goals in that game. Wow. Twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty, and thirty first. He tallied in. I didn't remember that. No, me neither. No. Isn't that funny? So then we remember all the fighting in the blood, I know. but we don't remember four. We don't remember Newey's Hattie or four goal game. Uh, so. Your your boy Brent Severin took the first penalty of the game. That was in the first period. Just a roughing minor. And it is just a, man, it is as long as your arm when you look at the penalties. Oh, yeah. Most of it in the third period. Most of it in the last four minutes of the third period. Uh, Grant Marshall, misconduct, roughing. Peter LeBoutillier. Do you remember him? No. He picked up a quick thirty minutes in penalties in that game. That was when didn't didn't uh, Ludwig uh, just take a mad cap run at Solani? Isn't that what started it? That may have been it. Yeah. 
And anyway, you can probably, why am I talking about this? You can probably find it online. I'm just looking at the names, Warren Reichel. I'm sure Beaker was in the middle of everything. He got in a fight. He fought Reichel. Uh, Brent Severin, instigator. Brent Severin fighting. Brent Severin game misconduct. Sador fighting. Sean Pronger. Uh, Jason Botterill, the general manager now of the Buffalo Sabres, misconduct fighting instigator. There was a Drew Bannister sighting. Uh, man, all all told, 117 minutes in penalties for the Ducks and 70 for the Stars. That was, find that one. Go find that one, people. Oh, yeah. It was goofy. That's it was the beauty nuts. of sports, though. I mean, it doesn't have to be ballet. You know, some of these things that are memorable, you know, that we talked about on the car ride home or, you know, or the next day or the next week, uh, something like that. What would you say the greatest Stars games to rewatch are the playoff games, obviously, right? Yeah, for me, those those are the ones. Um, The Edmonton battles or the Avalanche series? I think the Avalanche series to me is is the greatest hockey series I've seen. But the fact that... Well, the the first one. Yeah. The first one where you get They're to the Stanley good. Cup final. They were. But to do it for the first time, to do it at home. Yeah. That game seven at, at Reunion Arena was, that was Dallas Stars hockey right there. That was fantastic. I was looking at some of the numbers on it. Yeah. And um, as good as Colorado was, and Colorado won like a 7-5 game five, Dallas went in and I think outshot Colorado 41 to 20 something in game six to win that one four to one. And then I shot them 25 to 19 in game seven. They took that Colorado team and held them to 19 shots on goal in game seven. And mm. to me, that was a, Eddie was fantastic, but that was a complete team effort. That was, you know, that was the Dallas stars being the Dallas stars. Yeah. I, I think going, and I've seen a couple of the Edmonton, uh, cause they played, I mean, they played them what, three years in a row, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think six times overall. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, I just I mean the games were just so savage that when you go back and watch them, you're just like, man, how did anybody sur- survive that? Didn't they hand out like brutal. 60, 70 hits? Yeah, stats guys in some of those games. That's unheard oh, yeah. of. Oh yeah, the uh, we're doing some some rewind work for Fox Sports Southwest. They're going to replay the entirety of the '99 Cup run with with some interviews uh, with some of the people involved. Uh, you know, Guy Carboneau was great in that series. I think game game two, I think Ron Lowe said they wanted 100 hits. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> they had like 70, I think they had 70 hits, you know, in game one. Right. And uh, and they, I think they, they came close to it again, 65. But they, they spent so much time running around that, they didn't. They they couldn't play hockey. They figured the only way they were going to beat the Stars was to kill them. Yeah. The uh, but that said, I think most of the games were one goal games against them. They're all one goal games. Yeah. yeah, they they all were. But you know, I think that series. If you if you look back on it, the the one major deterrent that you have against teams that are your inferior that are going to try to level the playing field physically is if you just have a wicked power play and then every time they, they take a dumb penalty, you score, and then it backs them off. Well, the Stars' power play was atrocious in that series, and it, it emboldened the Oilers to just keep running at them. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, the Stars were just too good, too deep, uh, and won the series in, in four and in triple overtime and then moved on against St. Louis. I, I also, though, look at the – I think one of the uh, – or, or the – Playoff games that get that get sort of forgotten because of what we just talked about the Oilers series and, and a, the uh, the consistency of those series year after year. You knew what you were going to get. It was like a trilogy, and and then obviously the series against the Avalanche. But the playoff series against San Jose, like people forget, there there were police escorts for players to get into the arena in mm-hmm. both cities. Yeah. You know, Brian Marchment and, and Eddie and the backstories on both of them and the injury to Joe Newendike and just the games themselves. I mean, that those were very good San Jose teams, too. Yeah. And, well, and I, 
I, I love the building of the other city. So when you go to Edmonton, the entire city of Edmonton yeah. wants to kill you. Yeah, that's a good point. That's San a good Jose, point, Mike. That's a good point. It was a tiny little building. It wasn't really what you would call a hockey town, but they they were like Vegas now. They embraced the Sharks, and they became huge Sharks fans. So going into that building was really intimidating. Yeah. They hated the stars there, too. Well, even in even in Colorado, I, I mean, in, it was McNichols yeah. in the, was, in the yeah. early days before they moved over to the Pepsi Center. And that place was just a little um, poop box, too. So. Yeah. That's good. The other thing about Edmonton and San Jose is the stars really were high rollers at the time. And they were spending, what, 60, 70 million when other teams were spending 40 million. And it was, you know, Detroit, Colorado, and, and, and Dallas. And those are the three biggies. And so those little teams, I think, were just like, they hated the rich kids from Dallas. I think they, they really had that chip on their shoulder. Yeah, well, there's no question, especially with, with Edmonton, but. Um... You know the the Avalanche were spending some pretty good dough too. Oh, no, the Avalanche, yeah, that, that was good. Right in San Jose and Edmonton. I thought those, you could feel the the hate from the crowd in that one because Dallas stole Eddie from San Jose too. Yeah, yeah. You know, which I think was a big deal. Yeah, there was better hate then. Yes, the hate was a good thing. Yeah, the hate the hate was strong. The hate was really strong back then. Oh well, it's a different different world now. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you still build up some hate for individuals. It's just, it's just not, it's not as as uh, deployed as it was back then. How's that? Yeah. True. And I don't think the players hate each other as much as they used to. Well, no, because they've they've spent so much time. Most of your your NHL players have uh, have played against one another, growing up through the years, played with one another on all these uh, national teams. But even the even the uh, European, the Eastern Bloc players, I mean they they've played over in North America now. It's so different, yeah. you know. The all these young Russians played in in the you know OHL or the WHL with other guys. Like it, they're just they're players, and there's so much more movement now too. You don't keep your team together for you know half a decade. And build toward this. It, it gets turned over all the time with free agency. So, uh, you know, you might end up with a guy who was on one of those other teams before that's now all of a sudden on your team. Like, it's just, yeah. you're right. It's, well, Corey Perry is a member of the Dallas Stars. It's cross pollinated a little. Who would so, have thought? Indeed. I, yeah, and I'm speaking of Corey, that's that, that's one thing that's getting robbed here now when you think back, back to, uh, uh, some of those successful runs for the stars in years past that there were some guys that were average at best in the regular season, but you knew what they were going to provide come playoff time. And they did. And uh, a guy like, like Corey, I, I would have loved to, and I still hope to see what he could do come playoff time with one more run. I mean, that's really, that's, that's his time to shine. Yeah. That's the, his style of hockey. That's that was going to be the the big big uh, payoff to to the uh, addition. But who knows when that's going to be, and who knows how all these you know weeks months off are going to affect everybody. So yeah. I think you look back at that ninety eight ninety nine team, and you see guys like Sean Chambers or Brian mm-hmm. Trudland or or even Beaker. You know, Beaker had a couple of years left after that. But I mean, these were this was a moment, Dave Reed. Where you know these guys stepped up and said, "Hey, you know, I'm, I, I, this is, might be one of my last chances to win it," and and they really, they really performed well. Sean Chambers in that Edmonton series was fantastic. And well, that, you're you're right. Like you, everyone talks about Zuby for good reason in in that three overtime game four at Skyreach Center in Edmonton. Uh, he played Zuby played 57 minutes of that game. But Sean Chambers played 56. Yeah. On a bad knee. I remember. Yeah, it's amazing. I remember him saying he. he uh, what did he say again? He went. If you watch that again, the celebration. Obviously, Zuby shoots it, goes off Newendike's knee, goes in, and guys are just whipped. And but they all, you know, you get a gust and adrenaline, and they all go and pile in. Series is over. They won it in overtime. 
Sean Chambers goes the other way to Eddie because he said he was just too exhausted to go down to the pile down at the other end of the ring. <laughs> so he just turned around. It was just Sean Chambers and Eddie Belfort yeah. down at the one end. So Smart move. He's a veteran yeah. move on his part. Yeah. Well, hopefully we get to see and build upon that uh, here in in the summer months, as Gretz says we're going to do. And, I'm all uh, I'm all for it. I I believe yeah. in Lane Gretzky. Yeah. Oh, so do I. And uh, maybe next week we'll talk about whether there should be uh, one of these ESPN documentaries on Wayne. Uh, I guess like MJ should. Yeah. Yeah. Probably should. I do not. well in Canada. Do that, and then the Mike Heike retrospective <laughs> when it comes out. <laughs> uh, we can get that in about two minutes. Yeah. All right. Well, good chat. I don't have much else. Do you? No, uh, I think it's interesting what Drew Doughty said the other day just about uh, how it's going to be hard for players who don't have a spot in the playoffs to come back and play, um, which I think leads to the question of should some of those teams be allowed to not have to finish out. But I don't know how you do it. I think you have to get the the, the teams in the playoffs up and running before you can just you know start the playoffs. So they may just have to take one for the team. Yeah, there's lots of hurdles ahead. Yes. But, uh, yeah, and well, enjoy the rest of your 420, boys. <laughs> so it's 420 at 420 today in the year 2020. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I think Toast is going to enjoy today. Yeah. Just another right. Monday. Chi Chan Chong. We'll see you guys <laughs> next week. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. 